Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Now open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, now there was a certain man of Ramathim, Zophim, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, and Ephraimite. Can you imagine how long his signature was? <laughs> and he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, the name of the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children this man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year that when she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore, Hannah wept, did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the Lord, excuse me, so the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned to the house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked for him from the Lord. Now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned. Then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. 
Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. Then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. In chapter 2, you find Hannah praising the Lord. And then in chapter 3 and 4, you find later that Hannah had other children, actually, with Elkanah, her husband. Let me pray with you. Lord, we ask you to speak to us. No matter what situation we're in today, would you speak to our hearts, drawing us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's get some things out here in the open. Very first thing. There are no perfect parents, no perfect families. We're not going to go back to the land of guilt. We would all like to go back and undo some things in our own life. We would like to go back and have some do-overs with our children. Maybe you're raising children. Maybe your children are grown, and you have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Some of you grandparents are raising your grandchildren. Some of you are single moms. Some of you are like parents to other children. But the truths that we're going to share here today can affect you as you share your life and affect the next generation behind you. So no matter where you are, we're not here to condemn or to make feel guilty. We condemn ourselves most of the time. We make ourselves feel guilty because I just want to remind you there's only been one perfect parent, and that's God, and even his children rebelled in the garden. So we're not going to blame ourselves for the choices our children have made, even though some of them have made bad choices. We may want to go back and say, well, if, if I'd done this and if I'd done that and if and so forth. We can't go back, folks, but we can look forward from this day forward. Amen. So that's what we're going to do. Now, babies are great. Someone has described a baby as a digestive apparatus with a loud noise at one end and no responsibility at the other. <laughs> Mark Twain said, a soiled baby with a neglected nose cannot be scientifically regarded as a thing of beauty. Even teenagers like their mom. A 15-year-old boy came bounding into the house. He found his mom in bed. She, he asked her, Mom, are you sick? And she said, Well, I don't feel well. And her son said, 15-year-old, Well, don't worry a bit about dinner. I'll be happy to carry you down to the kitchen. <laughs> now, here's one of my favorites. A mother was concerned about her only son going off to college. So she wrote the following letter to the college president. Dear sir, my son has been accepted for admission to your college, and soon he will be leaving me. I'm, asking, I'm writing to ask that you give your personal attention to the selection of my son's roommate. I want to make sure that his roommate is not the kind of person who uses foul language or tells off-color jokes or smokes or drinks or chases after girls. I hope you'll understand why I'm appealing to you directly. You see, this is the first time my son will be away from home except for his three years in the Marine Corps. 
The hard-bitten commander of the infantry, infantry company in Vietnam was frustrated in his efforts to make a soldier out of one particular private first class. The young man lagged behind on all the patrols. He was always faking illnesses. He spent more time in headquarters. One day, though, this soldier, this private first class, changed his ways, and the rest of the infantry was amazed, and they came to the commanding officer and said, what made the difference? And he said, well, threats and punishment didn't work, so I had to use the ultimate weapon. I wrote his mother. <laughs> Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children on one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Does it really matter if parents are Christians? Now, obviously, those of you in this room are going to say yes, but I want to share with you that history has proven that out. Jonathan Edwards, who lived back a century or more ago, actually in the 1800s, was an outstanding Christian, and the researchers followed his descendants. They wanted to see what became of his descendants. Out of 1,394, 1,394 descendants, 13 of them became college presidents, 65 professors, 60 prominent lawyers, 32 noted authors, 90 physicians, 200 ministers of the gospel, and 300 good farmers. Now, Max Jukes, who lived at the very same time, was the very opposite of Mr. Edwards, for he was a notorious crook with no principle or character, they did research on his offspring of 903. They found that he spawned 300 delinquents, 145 confirmed drunkards, 90 prostitutes, 285 had evil disease, and over 100 spent an average of 13 years in prison. Max Jute's descendants cost the state of New York over a million dollars back in the 1800s. Lifeway, Lifeway Research did a survey several years ago in America asking about parenting. And they said, what kind of qualities do parents, should parents have today? 85% of the women said loving. 79% of the men said loving. That was the number one answer. Right after that came these four uh, characteristics, supporting, protecting, encouraging, and involved. They asked them about do parents need to have religious background or should they have religion in their life? They were using that word kind of generically or Christianity in their life. 35% said yes. Now, I expected non-Christians to say that, but they asked the Americans, they said, do you affiliate with a religion? 75% of them said yes, and they listed Christians, Protestants, or Catholics. And what's amazing is that 35% of them said this, what's important is that parents have a walk with God. So that tells us that a lot of these people have been born into either Protestants or Christianity or Catholicism. They've been born into that, but they did not think it was important. And we wonder why there's a problem today in our nation. 
Now, Hannah and Elkanah were not perfect parents, but they are good models for us to look at for just a moment. So some characteristics of godly parents, and I'm going to move quickly. First of all, there should be family devotion. There should be right husband and wife relationships. I got amused at a lady who wrote, I was out walking with my four-year-old daughter. She picked up something off the ground and started to put it in her mouth. I said, no, that's dirty. It probably has germs. And, the, and my four-year-old daughter looked up at me with total admiration and said, wow, how do you know all this stuff? And I was thinking quickly, and all I could think of was, well, all moms know this stuff. It's, it's on the mommy test. You have to know it or they don't let you be a mommy. We walked along in silence for two or three minutes, and she was evidently pondering this new information. And then she said, oh, I get it. So if you flunk the mommy test, you have to be the daddy. <laughs> That's right. Daddy just say, just wipe it off. It's okay. <laughs> Five-second rule. It's okay. <laughs> in this relationship, I want you to see three things. First of all, they had shared worship. It, the scripture says that Elkanah went up yearly. It didn't mean he went once a year. He had to go at least three times a year to celebrate the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. But the fact is there was consistent worship, and he had to go two or three-week journey to get from Shiloh to where the temple was. But here's the point. They went together. There was shared worship if you want to influence your children, they need to see you come along with them when they go to church. Now, obviously, you folks are here today. You're, you're, you think it's important. But there's so many parents that think church is just doesn't matter. They asked J. Edgar Hoover one time, who was the, 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 um, the leader of the FBI for many years, should I make my child go to Sunday school and church? And his reply was, yes. He said, you certainly should with no further discussion. You may be startled by my answer, but what do you say to Junior when he comes to breakfast on Monday morning and announces he's not going to school anymore? You know, he goes. How do you answer him when he comes home with covered with mud, says, I'm not going to take a bath? Junior bathes, doesn't he? Why all this timidity then when it comes in the realm of spiritual guidance and growth? You say you're going to let him wait and decide what church he wants to go to when he's old enough? You need to quit your kidding. You wouldn't wait until he's grown up to choose whether he's going to be clean or dirty. And you wouldn't let him decide for himself whether to take medicine when he's sick. So how shall we respond to Junior when he doesn't want to go to Sunday school and church? That's easy. You said, you tell him, son, in our house, we all go to Sunday school and church, and that includes you. Your firmness and your example will furnish a bridge over which youthful rebellion will then travel into rich and satisfying spiritual experiences. A lot of us in here had a drug problem growing up. We were drugged to church on Sunday morning. We were drugged to church on Sunday night. We were drugged to church on Wednesday night, drugged to vacation Bible school. We were drugged to the family altar. We were drugged to the woodshed when we disobeyed. I'm going to tell you, those drugs are still in my veins. And they're in yours. It's a lot stronger than cocaine or crack or heroin. And if our children had this kind of drug problem today, America would be in a different place. But see, we need to have shared worship. We need to lead them to the house of God. The second thing is shared love. You'll notice that it said that Elkanah gave a double portion to Hannah. What does that mean? 
When they would go to worship, they would take a bull, they would slaughter the bull and put it on a, on a sacrifice. The priest would take some of that, but then give a lot of it back to the worshiper. And they could take it home and they would have a feast. And he gave to his family, but he gave a double portion of it to Hannah, which indicated in the East at that time, that was something they did to honored guests. So it was a way of saying he really loved Hannah. And you'll also find him caring about her. And he loved her and she loved him. That's why she wanted to have a baby. She wanted to give him a child. And that was part of the love that they had. Well, well ladies and gentlemen, if you, if you have a mom and dad that's still together, I'm so, I'm so thankful that you're still together. I know that some aren't. But mom and dad, if you're still together, the love that you have for one another builds security into your children. It affects them. Two things I want you to remember. Be very careful what you say in front of your children. Now, if you're going to have, you know, a husband and wife, if they've been married at any time at all, are going to occasionally have what I'm going to call a spirited debate. How's that for a nice way of saying argument? Don't ever argue in front of your children. Never. Really. Because they're listening. They don't understand what's going on. They hear your tone of voice and they just know that mom and dad are fighting. And the second thing is, don't ever talk badly about the church and the Lord in front of them. Oh, sorry people down there that church they did this and that sorry pastor did this and so forth and so on and all that your children are listening to that and you wonder why they grow up and graduate and then they don't go to church anywhere don't ever roast anything about the lord work the church i know the church isn't perfect listen if you want to get in a gripe session about the church come see me we'll gripe together i can tell you more than you want to know but don't do it in front of your children ever but there's a shared love, and the love that you have between a husband and wife brings security to your children. There's also shared feelings. That goes right along with shared love. But you see Elkanah asking, Hannah, why are you not eating? Why are you crying? Am I not better to you than ten sons? You find him being sensitive to her needs. And men, that's something that we need to learn. We're not real sensitive creatures. I, I am one of them, so I can talk about us. We're actually pretty stupid. I mean, uh, and if our wife needs to talk to us, you, it doesn't mean you have to solve it. Sometimes you just need to listen. And sometimes I'm too dumb to know. So every now and then I'll say, am I listening or solving? <laughs> Most of the time I'm just listening. They don't need me to fix it. But to be concerned and to be sensitive to one another. Always keep that relationship between husband and wife current because one day your children are going to leave and you're just going to have each other you see the love that they have for one another you can read it the second thing is they had a spiritual dedication i've already alluded to this some there was a right heavenly relationship you see the passion in their life that's the first thing several characteristics under here first of all you see the passion that they have 
It wasn't just a haphazard thing. You see Hannah in verse 11 crying out to the Lord, God, please hear my cry. Please hear my voice. I want to have a child. A deep dedication. They were faithful. Elkanah went every year and they sacrificed and they worshiped to the Lord. They were dedicated. There was a passion about it. How do you convey your Christian values to your children or your grandchildren or any children that you're influencing? Well, first of all, you acknowledge that 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 child is a gift from God. Your children are a gift. They're not a nuisance. They're not... An interruption, they're a gift. Dedicate your child to the Lord to be used in his service. That's what Hannah did. I will warn you, when you dedicate children, and we have children, people that dedicate their children, it's really a parent dedication saying we're going to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. But when you say, Lord, we give our children to you, it's our most prized possession. You can do with them what you want. I want to tell you, he may move them. He may put them on a mission field. You may not like it but God will use them. You make a personal commitment to God to grow as a Christian parent. You identify your values and convey them consistently in your behavior. You express to your children love and acceptance. You view discipline as an ongoing process to help them to become self-controlled and self-disciplined. You pray for your family every day. You maintain family worship and Bible study in your home. Find some book. There are books that you can use with your children. We, we use books that we found, and, and it's out of print now. But there are books available. Go to the Christian bookstore and find one for family devotions. They won't remember all the stories. They won't remember everything you do. And we weren't perfect. We didn't do it every day. But they're going to remember you doing it to have a little bit of time together. You also involve your family in church activities. Participate in the events. Love your church. Love the people in it. Be involved in it. it. Your children will catch that. Do you have any passion about God's work? My word, we got passion about Texas Tech, Red Raiders, and we got passion about the Dallas Cowboys and the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros and everything else. We get passionate about that. We dress that way and we put those kind of clothes on them. But when it comes to church, no passion. We don't care. They're going to catch it. You can't tell them. They're going to catch it. The second thing is prayer. You find Hannah praying Carla Crumley Forrest of Jacksonville Beach, Florida said, shortly after our family began having nightly devotions, which isn't easy with a precocious four-year-old daughter and an impish two-year-old son, my daughter, four years old, said, Mommy, when are we going to get together with Daddy and Austin to talk about God and have family commotions? (laughs) I want to tell you, when you try to have devotions with preschoolers sometimes it is a commotion but they remember you doing it the third thing is she made a promise she made a vow lord i will dedicate this child to you a nazarite vow we find this in numbers chapter six meant that a jew would not cut his hair would have no concern for his physical appearance would not drink wine or strong drink abstain from banquets and celebrations and live in an, uh, a consecrated, God-centered life. Some Jews took a Nazarite vow for a short period of time. 
But three people in the Bible had a lifelong commitment, and that was Samson, John the Baptist, and Samuel. She said, God, I promised you I would give my child to you. I'm giving him to you. She had other children, and I'm sure she led them to know God too, but she, had a, she made a promise, Lord, I'm following you. Violet Hart of Lexington, North Carolina, a single parent, said this, as a single parent with a full-time job and three young children, I often listen to Christian radio as an extra source of strength to cope with my day-to-day responsibilities. One day, the sermon talked about how children are God's rewards to parents. Several days later, a sibling fight broke out, turned into shoving, and I said, cut that out right now or you'll go to your rooms until you can cool down. And my youngest piped up and said, now remember, Mom, we are your rewards. Family devotion, there is also a commitment, a spiritual dedication. And then the third thing is obedient determination, what I call right priorities. Now, I want you to get these three things if you don't get anything else I say today. Hannah was determined she was going to follow through on the commitment she made to the Lord, so she took Samuel to the temple. But she didn't go right away. What were the priorities here? Well, the first priority was what I call being available. You'll notice the word weaned. Elkanah said, we're going to Shiloh. And Hannah said, I'm not going. The child is not weaned. I want to make sure the child is weaned before we take him. Now, that probably took a couple of years. It wasn't just a few weeks. It was a couple of years. But here's what I want you to see. She was dedicated to that child. Today, the word seems to be delegated. We delegate everything else. I know circumstances are different. Sometimes you don't have any choice. But it seems to me like a lot of parents really want to delegate everything about their children to someone else instead of being dedicated to them while they're young. I want to tell you something. They're not going to be young long. I had a lady after church that last service say, I tell young ladies this, the days are long, but the years are short. And that is the truth. You may think this is eternity. I got a preschooler at my house. It's eternity. It's going to last forever. I want to get them out of here. I got to have some time to myself. Everybody's got to have time to themselves. I agree with that. Even Jesus had time to himself. He got away from the disciples. But not permanently. It goes by so quickly. I know there's not a lot of young parents in here. There were a lot of them in the last service. There, I see a few, but I want to tell you something. You're not ready for the day they graduate. This month, this month, there's going to be some high schoolers graduate. It's going to be the first one out of the home in some people's lives. 
and they're not they're not going to like it. I still remember when Rachel left, my oldest daughter, our oldest daughter. I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that. I said, Lord, how did this go by so quickly? And then Josh graduated, and then Amy graduated, and they're all gone. I've gotten used to it. I don't want them back. <laughs> Can I get a witness here for all you empty nesters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's awesome, isn't it? <laughs> but seriously, seriously, you... You're going to, I'm telling you, if you've got little ones in your, in your household, it's some of the best days of your life. You don't want to miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. And if you don't eat them when they grow up, they'll give you grandchildren. <laughs> Available. Available. Don't rush it. Socrates. Y'all, y'all heard of him? Some of y'all knew him personally. Socrates. This is what he said. Could I climb to the highest place in Athens? I would lift my voice and proclaim, fellow citizens, why do you turn and scrape every stone to gather wealth and take so little care of your children to whom one day you must relinquish it all? Take a moment to listen today to what your children are trying to say. Listen today, whatever you do, or they won't be there to listen to you. Listen to their problems. Listen for their needs. Praise their smallest triumphs. Praise their smallest deeds. Tolerate their chatter. Amplify their laughter. Find out what's the matter. Find out what they're after. But tell them that you love them every single night. And though you scold them, be sure you hold them. Tell them everything's all right. Tomorrow's looking bright. Take a moment to listen today to what your children are trying to say. Listen today, whatever you do, and they will come back to listen to you. Don't run them off. Be available to them. Make them a priority. The second thing is to be approachable. Can they come tell you anything and know you won't condemn them? You'll always love them. One person wrote, I finally found a Mother's Day card that expressed my feelings for my mother in real terms. It said, now that we have a mature adult relationship, there's something I'd like to tell you. You're still the first person I think of when I fall down and go boom. <laughs> Sometimes children are trying. I I got to read this to you. This lady wrote, said, I'd had a pretty hectic day with my four-year-old. When bedtime finally came, I laid down the law. We're putting on your PJs, brushing your teeth, and reading one book. Then it's lights out. Well, her arms went around my neck in a gentle embrace, and she said, we learned in Sunday school about little boys and girls who don't have mommies and daddies. Even after I'd been such a grouch, I thought she was still grateful to have me. I felt tears begin to well up in my eyes, and then she whispered, maybe you could go be their mom. <laughs> Boy, they tell the truth, don't they? Seriously, do your children know that 
you're approachable. Which goes along with the last thing I want to tell you, and that's to be affirming. Did you know that your children, their value and their worth is not based on what they do? Did you hear me? They may not be the greatest athlete. They may not be the smartest one in the class. They may not be the valedictorian or the salutatorian. Or they may not graduate magna cum laude. It may just be like me. Thank the laude. They may not be the best ballet. They may not be number one. Their team may never win a championship. They may strike out when they're up there batting. But their worth and their value is not based on what they do. It's who they are. They are your children. They are God's children. They are valuable. Love them. Affirm them. I've got 30-year-old kids that have got kids of their own, and I still tell them from time to time, I'm so proud of you. For what? There's no for what to it. I'm proud of you because of who you are. Let them know that. You've got to affirm your kids. And I want to tell you, they never get too old to hear it. You'll always be a parent. If you're a parent, you'll always be a parent. It's not too late to tell your kids how how proud you are of them, but they never get tired of hearing that. Make them the priority in your life. They won't always be there. There'll always be time to work more, play golf, and do all kinds of stuff. But make them a priority in your life. Now, the only way, you know, I've already mentioned this once. I'm going to do it again. We're going to call this over here the land of guilt. All of us should be standing over here. I wish I could do do over some things. I do. I, I, I feel like I'd be a lot better dad now with little ones than I was when I was younger. I'd probably make some different mistakes. And I wish I could do over this, and I wish I could do this differently. And, and I guarantee you, I'm not the only one standing over here. So let's go over here, and let's put down a stake right here. God said, you know what? You can't undo what's here. And I'm not going to hold that accountable now. In fact, I'm going to forgive you. But starting right now, starting right now on this Mother's Day, Let's go forward. Maybe you weren't the best parent. Maybe you weren't the best dad or mom or grandparent. But Jesus can change your life. If you don't know Jesus, the first thing you do is repent of your sin and ask God to forgive you and invite Christ into your life. Because you can't live for the Lord if you don't know the Lord personally. You just can't. You don't have to join a church to get Jesus. You'll want to join a church after you get Jesus. You'll want to. It's one of the best signs. But I'll tell you this, there are a lot of people today who just need Jesus. Now, if you know Jesus, and most most people in here probably do, 1 John 1 says, confess your sin. Lay it out there. God, I messed up. I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. From this day forward, would you help me to be what you want me to be?
See, that's the cool thing about God. He didn't rub your nose in the past. He just said, start right here. So no matter what kind of parent or grandparent you be, you know, you can be a different one today. You start right now when you walk out of this room. But you have to have the Holy Spirit in your life to do that. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information to make a commitment or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.